This is the last sermon in our 1 John series. And today we're going to focus on the very last verse of the letter. Uh, 1 John chapter 5, verse 21. Feel free to open your Bibles there. 1 John, or 1 John chapter 5, verse 21. And it says this, Little children, keep yourselves from idols. Little children, keep yourselves from idols. We're going to, um, we're going to briefly unpack this sentence uh, today. Then we're going to hear from a few friends of mine that I brought along uh, about what an idol is. And uh, then we're going to take a bird's eye view of the whole letter with that verse in mind. Before we do, let's commit this time to God in prayer. Oh, Heavenly Father, you are so gracious so kind to us that you would send your son Jesus to make the way for the power of sin to be broken over our lives, to make us your people. And we've come here today, Lord, to worship you. We ask that you would set our hearts right, that you would help us to be attentive to your words, that your Holy Spirit would convict us and change us to be more and more like Christ. So speak to us now through your word, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So let's look at the verse. Little children, keep yourselves from idols. Little children. We've mentioned this a number of times throughout the letter. John uses this terminology uh, to, to, you know, it gives a little bit of a warmth to the letter. It's a stern but a worn letter, like a, like a father speaking to, their, to his child. Right, this letter has been written out of genuine care and concern for the believers. And now by using this term again right at the end, um, John reminds the believers that he's written these things out of love. Little children, keep yourselves... Keep is an, is an imperative verb. It's a command. It's absolutely crucial, this little word keep. Uh, it can also be understood as guard, right? Guard um, perhaps fits a little better here. It's, it's absolutely crucial that we guard, right? Guard what? Guard yourselves, it says. Guard yourselves. Little children, keep yourselves or, or guard yourselves. This means that there's some personal effort and responsibility required from uh, this text. God is demanding or requiring, counselling us in some way to live. Um, We call to action, right? We need to guard ourselves. But from what? From idols, right? The phrase from from idols indicates uh, a sense of separation, Right, and it really fits with this this verb, keep or guard, um, keep ourselves away from idols. Guard ourselves by staying separate from idols. Little children, keep yourselves from idols. John says. And now the question that hangs uh, right before us now is, well, what exactly is an idol? And as you know, some of the answers from the kids talk. Um, someone that you, I think Taylor said, someone that you, you look up to. 
um, and other things like that. Absolutely right. I think for me, I, I go straight to the carved image, right? I go straight to the, the statues and things like that. Um, things that are images, you know, things that are worshipped in a very tangible way. Um, the golden calf from Exodus, that's probably something that comes straight to my mind. Um, you know, a classic example of a physical idol. Um, even the, the sun, the moon, the stars, they come to mind. People have been worshipping these heavenly bodies for years, um, of, you know, throughout history. Um, how, ma how many people look for guidance from the moon and such? You know, it, it, is, it is a common thing. Um, perhaps more common than we think. You think about all those magazines that near the, um, near the cash register. You know, a lot of people go to them to get to their star sign to, f to find out what's going on in their life or what's going to happen, right? This is, in fact, some sense of idol worship. They're looking to the stars instead of looking to God. They're opening up new idea or whatever it is um, and uh, instead of opening up the word of God. But it goes far beyond these carved images or pictures or you know, heavenly bodies or whatever. It goes far beyond that. It goes deeper than that. Idols get much more subtle than that. And so today, um, like I mentioned, I brought a few friends along with me, um, friends yeah, who aren't here, they'll be here with us in their words, um, about what an idol is, right? And uh, because we need to know what our idols are so that then we can actually guard against them. Darling, you were right. You are. <laughs> this has been distracting me the whole time. You are a beautiful helper. If we don't know what our idols are, we can't, we can't guard ourselves against them. Then we can't obey what God says is good for us. We can't follow that, that counsel. And so do you, you know, have you thought about this lately? Do you have any idols? Do you know what they might be? Hopefully by the end of our time together, something might be brought to mind, something that, something that we can work on um, as individuals, maybe even together at some point, and so we can uh, follow God's good instruction for us. Righto. Here's some of these quotes about idols uh, that might help us to think through it a bit and help to figure it out. Uh, John Calvin, he's going to set the tone for us here when he says, Every one of us is, even from his mother's womb, a master craftsman of idols. And I'd agree with him. We're all idolaters to some degree. That's our starting point. I'm trying to get everyone in on this. <laughs> if I'm in here, you are too. That's sort of what I'm thinking, yeah. I'm dragging you along with me. Uh, Dwight uh, Moody said, whatever you love more than God is your idol. Whatever you love more than God is your idol. So straight away, we notice that uh, an idol is something that's put in place of God and so straight away we know that an idol is not good. Martin Luther said, 
Whatever your heart clings to and relies upon, that is your God. Or we could say, whatever your heart clings to and relies upon, that is your idol. John MacArthur goes into a bit more detail saying this, Idolatry is having any false god, any object, idea, philosophy, habit, occupation, sport or whatever that has our primary concern and loyalty. Right? Whatever has our primary concern and loyalty. That's our idol. Or, he goes on to say, uh, to any degree that decreases our trust in and loyalty to the Lord. I thought that was a good insight there. Something that decreases our trust in God. That's just another angle to look at it. Richard Mayhew says, an idol is anything, any attitude, any belief or any God uh, that so captures a person's attention and allegiance that God does not have preeminence. Philip Ryken said, to identify your own idols, ask questions like these. What things take the place of God in my life? Where do I find my significance and, and my confidence? What things make me really angry? Anger usually erupts when an idol gets knocked off the shelf. I love that imagery. Ken Sandy adds to the conversation saying... Any time that we long for something apart from God, fear something more than God, or trust in something other than God to make us happy, fulfilled, or secure, we worship a false God. In biblical terms, it's something other than God that we set our heart on, that motivates us, that masters and rules us, or that we trust, fear, or serve. In short, it's something we love and pursue more than God. Randy Smith says bluntly, if there's anything that thrills you, excites you, captivates you, stuns you more than God, you're an idolater. And Tozer, A.W. Tozer, politely reminds us that an idol of the mind is as, is as offensive to God as an idol of the hand. And God gets the final say here. The one true living God says, you shall have no other God before me. That one sentence should cause us to pay careful attention to the text. Those other quotes have some good insight. They can, you know, they can really help us to think through that. But God's word has full authority. You shall have no other God before me. So what is your heart clinging to and longing for, wanting most, relying upon right now? If it's not the God of the Bible... It could very well be an idol. 
So far, we've uh, briefly unpacked the verse and, and heard from a few different voices about what idolatry is. And now we're going to skim through the, the letter of 1 John uh, with this text in mind. Little children, keep yourselves from idols. We're going to keep that in mind as we, as we skim through. Now, John wrote this. This is the very last verse of the book. Some people think it's odd. Some, some people write about this. It's out of place or it's added later or blah, blah, blah. Um, But as I read the book, as I've been studying this book, I actually think it's in the perfect spot. It's in the perfect place. Right? Because the whole point of this book is that you and I know and worship the true God. That you and I know who Jesus Christ is and worship Him alone. And nothing else, no one else. Right? That's been John's point from the beginning. So keep your Bibles open as we skim through now. Chapter 1, 1 verse 4, John points to Jesus as eternal life. Right? Jesus is the way of eternal life and fellowship with God and fellowship with one another. Jesus is where we find true joy, true life and fellowship with one another, not in anything else or anyone else. Right? And our idols are going to promise some kind of joy, but they can't deliver, right? But Jesus promises complete joy, full joy, and he can deliver. Idols give momentary joy, but it's, it, it's, it's a counterfeit joy, really. It's a counterfeit joy. Um, Jesus gives the eternal joy that, that lasts forever. It's the real deal. It's the real deal. See, Idols are a bit like band-aids, right? Band-aids for our soul. We can use them to try and cover up our pain, soothe our wounds, help them, you know, use them to help us get through the challenges of life. But they're really just like a band-aid. They work for a short amount of time. Um, then they get dirty, wrinkled, wet, and go all mank and fall off. You know it, right? They work for a short amount of time. Um, you know, and then we quickly need to go off and find something else, something else to, to patch in that, to soothe that pain or give us hope or whatever. Um, they just don't last. You know, the hope and joy that idols offer is momentary at best, at very best, very momentary. But the joy that Jesus offers is genuine. It's full and complete and it's eternal. It's no wonder that God counsels us to, to move away, to guard ourselves from idols, from people and things and beliefs that, that make big promises but just can't deliver. In verses 5 to 10, uh, John talks about walking in the light and not in darkness. Right? Walking in the light of Christ and not in the darkness of idolatry, we could say. Right? To walk in the light is to obey God. It means to be full of his character and live lives of godliness and holiness. We could say that walking in darkness is when we worship idols instead of God. And God warns us today to guard ourselves from these idols because idols love to drag us into the dark. 
Idols love the dark. They love to drag us into the dark. They lure us into hidden places, right? Think about, uh, think about sin. How much sin happens in dark and hidden places? Right? This might be physically uh, dark and hidden, like sexual sin often is. Uh, but it might not be physical darkness. Um, our idols may just cause us to act darkly in open in public spaces, in our homes and, and wherever. You know, the idol of self. We can, we can worship ourselves. We can put ourselves in that place of God. Um, functionally, you know, we, we consider ourselves God. And it may show up as a public outburst of rage or something like that if we're challenged or disrespected. Right, Al? Someone tried to knock the idol of self off the shelf, so to speak. What about idols of peace and comfort and order? You know, I've ticked these boxes, yep. I love peace and comfort and order. But, you know, if these are our idols, I've, I've got written here perhaps frustration, but I know out of experience uh, frustration, anger and hatred can be shown towards the ones who take away our peace and our comfort and, and our order, right? To walk, in the, to walk in the light means to worship God and pursue Him. Walking in the dark is to worship something else other than God and pursue that. And we can never walk in the light if we're not guarding ourselves from idols, Chapter 2, 1 to 6, John says we have an advocate before God when we sin. Right? We have an advocate before God when we commit the sin of idolatry. Jesus Christ the righteous. He's our advocate. He's the one who pleads on our behalf. Jesus has paid the price on the cross for all our idolatry. For all of it. All of it. Praise God, eh, that he sent Jesus and that Jesus would come willingly to deal with our idolatry because it's serious. We've all been idolaters, which means the blood of Jesus Christ has paid for each believer here to take away that idolatry, to give us that new start. We've all been unfaithful to God and committed this spiritual adultery. This is what God uses this terminology. It's spiritual adultery, essentially. We're unfaithful to God when we idolize other things. Right? We've all worshipped and loved and cherished and pursued other things than God himself. And apart from that sacrifice that Jesus made on the cross for our idolatry, we would all be condemned to hell. Guaranteed. But. Thank God he sent Jesus. Thank God that we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. Little children, keep yourselves from idols. Chapter 2, verse 7 to 14, reminds us that our sins are forgiven. 
that we now know the true God and that by believing the gospel, we have victory over the world and over the evil one. We need to remember who we are. We are sons and daughters of the living God. Sons and daughters of the Most High God. We are clothed in the righteousness of Christ. Before God, we are cleansed. We are clean, spotless, blameless. Our calling now is far too high to stoop down and worship idols. We belong to the maker of heaven and earth. The one who's being worshipped night and day by multitudes of spiritual beings and creatures, angels singing, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. That's going on right now. Let's not stoop. I know it can be hard because we don't, we don't actually see all this, you know, going on. Um, but the day is coming, right? The day is coming. The day is coming. And when it comes, we're going to see this glory of God in very, very tangible ways. Let's be found worshipping Him. And nothing else at that time. Nothing else. Right, we've, already got this, we've already got this victory. We already have the victory, is what John has been talking about in this chapter. All we have to do is walk in it. The victory's ours. We just need to walk in it. How do we do that? We keep ourselves from idols. We guard ourselves from idols. Chapter 2, 15 to 17, John says, uh, Do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. Honestly, this scripture should have us on our faces pleading for mercy and forgiveness. Especially if we're outside of Christ. But even inside... You know, we can still stumble, we can still sidetrack, and that still requires that pleading. And uh, God is pleased to forgive us. But this, this scripture, I read it this week, and it, it's, you know, in, apart from Christ, it scared me. Because the love of the world and the things of the world that John warns us about are the idols of our hearts. And they are utterly detestable in the sight of God. Utterly detestable. The one who gives us life, the one who gave us life, deserves not just first place in our life as though, you know, we just sort of love a whole bunch of things and he's kind of just the, the first, you know, just the first among equals or something like that. It's not like a bag of marbles where everything's kind of the same, but you've but you got a favourite few. It's nothing like that. This is the eternal God of life, who doesn't just deserve first place in our life, but utter preeminence. Utter preeminence over everything and anyone else. Period. 
And it's on a whole other scale. God is on a whole other scale. What does preeminent mean? It means that he, God, is, we need to put him first, or he already is. But we need to live in a way that shows this, that God is first in importance, that he is first in honour and first in exaltation, that he is unequaled and unmatched, unsurpassed by anything else in our life. And I just, I just start thinking to myself, how dare I put anything in God's place? But I do. I do. Yet apart from Jesus Christ, I'm a goner. I would lose my soul because of my idols, because of idolatry. I love my idols so much that it took the God of the universe to break their hold over me. And the battle still goes on. Apart from Jesus, you and I would lose our souls over idolatry. Except for the love that God has shown us in Christ, we would lose our souls. Apart from the power of God, breaking into our life by the Holy Spirit. We'd still be worshipping idols night and day. And we would lose our soul. Little children, keep yourselves from idols. Chapter 2, verse 18 29. Don't worry, I'll get faster. As we go through the book. The Apostle talks about uh, those who were spreading lies about Jesus and about his true identity. John warns us to remember that Jesus is the Christ, the chosen one, the Saviour. He warns us not to be uh, deceived by the false teachings, by any false gospel that will lead us into idolatry because the truth of the gospel is always going to lead us away from idolatry every single time and perhaps this is the way perhaps this is the best way we can guard ourselves is to remind us remind ourselves every day of the gospel it sounds so basic and it you know maybe you've heard that a million times but it's true Remember that each morning that nothing less than the body and blood of the Son of God paid for the sin of your idolatry. Jesus came to break the power of sin over us and to turn our attention back to God 
where it is good and right and proper. He didn't spill his blood so that we would go on worshipping idols. Loving the world more than him. Jesus Christ went to the cross so that we would be saved from God's judgment and that you and I would no longer be slaves to these idols, but servants and worshippers of the one true living God. Little children, keep yourselves from idols. Chapter 3, verse 1 to 10, it says that no one who truly loves God keeps on sinning. Genuine faith and habitual sin, they just don't mix. They just don't mix. It's like oil and water, right? If you put some oil and water in a container and shook it up for a while, for a little time, it might appear to be one sort of liquid, um, one thing, um, but eventually they're going to separate. And Christians and sin, they just don't mix. Christians and idolatry, they just don't mix. They must separate, and they will separate. In other words, any, no true believer can go on uh, living in idolatry. Habitual sin is idolatry. Greed, lust, sexual immorality, gossip, slander, and a bazillion other things can be traced back to an idol of the heart. And if we're serious about our faith, we'll, we'll begin to take time to get to the core issues. We'll, 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 we'll be deliberate in trying to understand uh, what the idols of our heart actually are and then we can learn to guard ourselves from them effectively. And not only that, we'll be proving our allegiance and faithfulness to the God who gave us life, to the God who gave us eternal life. Verses 11 to 24, John teaches about loving one another. Genuine love for other Christians is a sign that you have eternal life, he says. He reminds us that Jesus laid down his life for us and that we should lay down our lives for others. He says, if anyone sees his brother in need, yet closes his heart against him, how can the love of God remain in him? Everything we have belongs to God. Everything. If we worship God, we'll be able to give happily and freely. But if we worship the things that he's given us, whatever that is, we, we won't want to share. We'll hold on to it. We'll be tight-fisted. And uh, we won't want to share with those in need. But loving others well so that God gets the glory is an act of true worship. So if we're holding back something, perhaps we could ask ourselves, what am I happy to share and to give? And what am I not happy to share and to give to others in need. And it just may reveal an idol of our heart. See, idolatry has a flowing effect to the whole church and, and the witness of the church um, if, it, if it stops us loving one another, which is another reason why we must guard ourselves from idols. Chapter 4, John raises the issue uh, of false prophets, false teaching. Now, there were some in the church that didn't believe that Jesus uh, was the Son of God in human form. And they were teaching something else, a false gospel, uh, a gospel of poison. 
these people were in the church, but they weren't true believers. They were speaking worldly wisdom, which is foolishness in the eyes of God. These people are antichrists. They were trying to deceive the believers with this knowledge. Now, perhaps they idolized their own status um, or this so-called wisdom that they possessed. I don't know. But what is clear in the letter is that they weren't loving the church. And uh, they refused to believe God's testimony about his son. And instead, they proclaimed their own thing about Jesus. Whatever was happening uh, back then, we know this, that they weren't worshipping God as he requires, and so they were worshipping something else. Uh, And that had a huge impact on the church. In fact, the church uh, was split because they didn't keep themselves from idols. Chapter 5, 1 to 5, John talks about being born again and how faith overcomes the world. We're all idolaters from birth. And apart from the gift of faith given to us by God, we would remain idolaters. We'd worship anything and everything in the universe except for God himself. And we'd face the consequences of that idolatry. But, as it's written in verses 6 to 12, whoever believes the truth about Jesus... Uh, Jesus Christ has received the gift of faith and has received eternal life. The power of sin has been broken in their life and now they're able to guard themselves from idols. In 13 to 19, which is chapter 5, it tells us that we can know for sure that we have eternal life and that God hears our prayers. We now have God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit on our side. And if we pray according to his will, we can know for sure that he hears us and answers our prayers positively. So here's a prayer for you to consider. It's going to hurt, but it's good. I say that from experience too. Father, this is just an example. Father, please show me an idol of my heart so that I can guard myself from it and worship you alone. And if you see a brother or sister committing sin, as as, uh, John mentions in chapter 5, you can pray for them. So what we could pray is that God would reveal you know, the idol that's sitting at the root of, of this sin. And guarantee God will do it. He will answer this prayer in the affirmative. Now, the result of these prayers, they're going to benefit our faith. They're going to strengthen our faith. That's going to strengthen the body. How? Because when these idols are revealed, we can do something about it. And even the act of doing is faith in action. Um, yeah, and that's, yeah, we'll, you know, I just lost my place here and just lost my thought, train of thought, obviously. Just get this thing back in a drive. <laughs> um, 
Yeah, as John says, whoever is born of God will not keep on sinning. So we're not going to be um, content with just continually rolling around in the muck of our sin. We're going to want to get out. We're going to want to move uh, in the direction God's calling us today. Uh, And so we'll ask the Holy Spirit to convict us and change us. And again, you can guarantee God will do that. God is in the business of change. Many of us hate change. God loves it for us. He loves change. That's what he does. He's a transformer. Um, you know, and as we do these things, we'll know for sure. Our faith will be conver- confirmed our, our, that we belong to God and we'll be strengthened. And finally, before the crowd goes wild, um, chapter 5, verse 20 to 21, it says this, And we know that the Son of God has come and given us understanding so that we may know him who is true and we are in him who is true, in his Son, Jesus Christ. He is the true God and eternal life. Little children, keep yourselves from idols. God has ultimately revealed himself in Jesus Christ. Jesus is the Christ. God's chosen saviour of the world. Jesus is the son of God who was fully God and fully human. He came to die on the cross to pay the price for our sin, for our idolatry. All the punishment for our unfaithful idolatry was poured out on Jesus on the cross and he was raised back to life on the third day and he's at the right hand of the Father ruling and reigning now with all authority on heaven and earth. Bam. And everyone who has been born of God will believe God's testimony about Jesus. That person will want to obey, obey God, and to love others, especially other Christians. They will not live in habitual sin, but keep themselves from idols. They will intentionally guard themselves from worshipping anything else but the God of the Bible the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. And ultimately, that person will rest in the finished work of Christ on the cross and give praise and glory and honour to God and God alone. Well, in accordance with this letter of, from, from John, the Apostle John, I hope that this series has been a benefit to your faith. I hope that uh, your joy has increased in God. I hope that it steered you a little further away from sin. Uh, I hope it's solidified some truths about Jesus Christ uh, and that you won't let anyone deceive you. I hope it's increased your assurance of salvation. And I hope that you and I will both learn quickly to guard ourselves from idols. To the praise and glory of God and God alone. Amen.